What up, Jay Money? Hi, Paula. How's, How's it going? Hey, hey. first. Jinxies. <laughs> Welcome to the Paula and Jay Money Show, a real and uncensored show about growing wealth and financial freedom. Your host, Paula Pant, is a fun-loving globetrotter who lives on the West Coast, focuses on real estate investing, and runs the blog at affordanything.com. Host Jay Money is a husband and father of two who lives on the East Coast, focuses on saving money, and runs the blog BudgetsAreSexy.com. While they may have wildly different approaches to building wealth, they both have your financial independence in mind. Which one most resonates with you? Find out as you listen to The Money Show. Here are your hosts, Paula Pant and Jay Money. What's up, Paula P? Oh, I am excellent. I am on my first cup of coffee, so that's actually rather good for me. Normally, I'm like four cups deep at this point. Ah, is it bad if I say I'm drinking a beer? Really? Ah, I was just... (laughs) 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 I'm not that crazy. Hey, wondering why the sound quality kind of sucks? It's because we don't really know what we're doing. At least not yet. So if the sound quality bothers you, just skip ahead to episode six where we figure it out. But if it doesn't bother you... Stick around. We got some good stuff. I'm not that crazy. <laughs> Although yesterday at the end of the day, I got really like I didn't want to do any work. Uh-huh. And so I, I just went to a bar all by myself and I <laughs> sat there and I was just like in deep thought and I had a beer. And it was actually kind of cool to be by yourself like that. Oh, that's not, that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, no phone, no whatever. It's just you and your thoughts and a nice pint of beer. Oh, that sounds great, actually. Yes, yes. It's a good <laughs> habit to get into. <laughs> Drinking alone, kids. That's <laughs> the lesson for today. Drink alone. <laughs> yeah, see, I was trying to segue into our <laughs> with the best financial habits. It was at happy hour, too. Mind you, $3 for a drink, which is really good. Nice. Uh, yeah, and you went and took it the alcoholic route, I see. <laughs> But yeah, let's talk about some financial habits, like the ones that you have found that work really well for you over the years, or even some that I guess didn't too, if you wanted to. I kind of just throw out all the different ways that we um, that we found that just work and, and help grow our wealth over time. Perfect. That sounds great. So Jay, what is your, what's your favorite of all of the habits that you've developed over the years, other than drinking alone? What's your favorite? <laughs> My favorite, which would be no surprise to anyone that reads my blog, is tracking your net worth. Woohoo! Ooh, tell me more. Yes, I love it. You know, um, here's the thing about tracking. So, so the one thing with money in general mm-hmm. is you kind of have to know where everything is, right? You have to know where everything is so that way you can see if you're going up or down, right? Like it's a really simple thing. It's like when you're trying to lose weight, you got to know how much you weigh so then you can figure out if you're losing weight or gaining weight. Right. Um, so it's the same thing with, with net worth. People are either too scared to do it um, or they don't think they have money. So there's no point in tracking net worth. Mm-hmm. And net worth isn't about um, how, like, I mean, it's about how much money you have. But the point isn't to like, oh, I have a net worth of, of this many hundreds or thousands. It's just to know where the hell you are. Mm-hmm. You know, and net worth for people that don't know is pretty much just you know, have two columns. One, all your assets, you know, your savings, your investments, um, your, your house, if you want to put that in there, whatever, whatever you, you have that's, that's money or an asset. On the other side, so you have all your debts, you know, your loans, your mortgages, car payments or car loans, um, and you subtract them. And whatever that number is at the end is your net worth, right? And what I love about it is that they're facts. You know, they're like, they're like real numbers, either, you know, like unless you're tricking yourself and, and putting numbers from your head in there, you know, which you shouldn't, you should be co- logging into your accounts, copying and pasting the numbers and just putting them in there. You know, they're facts. And, and that's what I love about, you know, the net worth. This is, this is at this given point in time, when you track your net worth, this is what your quote worth. So just, just to review. So like, let's say that you have a car that's worth 10,000 and you have uh, a house that's worth a hundred thousand, and you have ninety thousand in your bank account. Then your mm-hmm. assets add up to two hundred thousand. Yes. And then let's say like the balance left over on your mortgage is a hundred thousand. That would be two hundred minus a hundred, so your net worth is a hundred. Yep, you got it. Yep. And the, and the nice thing is too, yeah, like you can have. There's people that have like a million dollars in assets, but they also have a million dollars in debt. Mm-hmm. You know. So, so that gives you an overall picture of like your, your net worth is zero, 
right? Like it's, it's not good or bad. It's just depending on how your situation is. I mean, well, obviously you want your, your network to be higher, but like it, it gives you a snapshot, uh, you know, and, and the, the other nice thing is if you're heavily in debt, let's say your net worth is negative a hundred thousand because of student loans, mm-hmm. right? If you're negative, um, anytime you make a payment at, t- you know, towards a principal, like your number is going to be less negative next month. Like if you're paying off debt, the number is going up, right. right? The same thing is if you're saving or if you're saving and paying off debt, the number is going up by more. So that's what I love. Like it doesn't matter if you're in debt. It doesn't matter if you're investing. It all reflects like all your actions reflect like whatever that net worth is with the only exception of like, like a lot of my money's in investment. So if the market crashes, my net worth crashes. So those are kind of like outside of your control. Right. But, but by and large, you can tell like, oh, like if that's the only red area, you know, in the whole spreadsheet here, then, you know, like that's not that's not something that like I'm going to be able to control, you know. So, Jay, how often do you track your net worth? So I like to do it the first of every month um, just to see what happened last month, if I need to adjust, if I'm doing good, bad. Um, some people do it every quarter. Mm-hmm. Some people never do it. <laughs> and then some people do it every year. Um, I, I don't think it's, I mean, I think as long as you're consistent, however you're doing it, personally, I think it's fine. I just think it's important to be doing it on some level. Yeah. Um, you know, so especially I, when you're starting out. So I track my net worth too, actually. And I do it twice a year. I do uh, one in like roughly January-ish and then again in like roughly July-ish you know, and then give or take a month on either side. So sometimes I'll do, a, you know, the summertime one, basically a wintertime and a summertime. Okay. So you like, you think it's important. You don't, you're not obsessed with it like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found in tracking my net worth, I've, I've sometimes been shocked at how much it goes up. And I yeah. found that a lot of that really does come from, for me at least, uh, comes from investment growth, both in terms of like stock market stuff, as well as um, housing values. Probably partially for that reason. I uh, I like the once every six months sort of thing because that way I'm not like, if the market fluctuates a little bit, I'm not freaking out about, oh, the market had a downturn and now I'm I'm worth 100,000 less than I used to be. Oh my God. You know, like, right, right. it kind of helps me keep a more long-term view. Well, and I will say too, like, um, you know, like, uh, oh no, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was going to ask you what your net worth is, but I didn't know if you were going to disclose it. So, <laughs> so, I, so I switched gear. I'll, I'll, I'll get back on track by saying my, so like mine fluctuates too up and down. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and mine at the time right now is 495,000. Um, but it goes up and down because of the market. But I started tracking it when it's 50,000. So to give you an idea, and that's been over seven years now, like I could see like if there's days where I'm like, oh man, like I don't feel like I'm doing good or whatever. And I, I track it every month. So I can go back through the months and see it and chart it from where I started to where I am now, which I think is really the, So the reason this is my number one tip for me, at least is because a, I, I know where everything is, but it keeps me motivated. When I first started tracking my network, I thought that I was saving like two or $300 a month. Like that's what I had in my head. When I actually went to track it, I was losing two to three hundred a month, like a complete opposite. And I, it's just crazy because that's like a four or five hundred dollar delta, you know? Delta? Yeah, like a difference. Oh, but... gotcha. Whoa, some, somebody's mathy. <laughs> SAT words today. <laughs> um, anyway, so the point is, it's good to track it at some level. You know, you can track your progress. No one, you don't have to tell the world about it. It's just for you, you know. But that, that's like. You know, when you see people driving, you know, Benz and, and Land Rover, like all these fancy cars or fancy houses, all that stuff's fine, like whatever. What matters financially is what your net worth is, right? Some of those people can be negative millions of dollars worth, right? right? So so keep that in mind when you're starting to get a little jealous or whatever, and I do too. Like I, I always want to stop those people and say, I, you look rich as hell. Like what is your net worth just so I can see if you're really rich or not, <laughs> you know? Because that would, that would change everything, Right. right? Especially in million dollar neighborhoods, like you just don't know how they're managing the money. They're all looks. Right. You know? Anyway, so that's my favorite habit. What What is your favorite habit? Since I know that one's not your number one. <laughs> so um, my favorite habit is something that I call the anti budget. Oh jeez. <laughs> Budgets are boring. dot com, which I own, so that you can put it on there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It didn't occur to me that I'm talking about the anti-budget with a guy who writes a blog called Budgets Are Sexy. That's right. That's right. 
I'm cool with alternative ways to do it as long as you pay attention. <laughs> so you go right ahead, Missy. Jay Money's like, you and your alternative lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <sighs> So the anti-budget, it came about because I'm not a super detail-oriented person. I kind of like having a, taking more of a big picture look at things rather than like scrutinizing in, into the decimal points. And so what I found was that whenever I tried to make a conventional budget, you know, where I'm like, this is exactly how much I'm going to spend on groceries. This is what I'm going to spend on gas. This is what I'm going to spend on toilet paper and cat food. <laughs> That just wasn't working for me. And I would, I'd go through the motions and I'd make this detailed budget and then I would completely ignore it. And then God knows what happened the next month. And it just, it just wasn't working for me. And so then I decided, you know what? If you can't live it down, play it up. Like if you can't force yourself to like jive with a certain way of doing things, then don't do it that way. Do it in the way that works for you. And so I started doing what what I call the anti-budget, where every month or every year, whatever, I know exactly how much money I want to save. And so I just pull those savings off the top, and then whatever is left over is the money I have to spend. And I don't give a shit where it goes. I don't care if it goes to toilet paper or to bottles of champagne or to clothing or it doesn't matter. That's the pool of money that I can spend. And my savings are my savings. And when I say savings, I should clarify that I'm referring to um, like retirement contributions, health savings account contributions, money that just accumulates in a savings account. Like I'm, I'm referring to sort of all of that. So this is like what they say, right? Like pay yourself first kind of thing. Yeah. Pay, like save or pay debt, whatever you're doing first and then live off of whatever's left over. That's the right mentality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like for you, like I would imagine you can't like, so a lot of people listening are either like living paycheck to paycheck or they're like going down every month, right? Mm -hmm. um, so so for them to do that, like like you, you have to get comfortable with how you're spending and just in general, kind of have like a general idea, right? So that you knew like you had that, that um again like that delta <laughs> that gap I see, you know I say delta i imagine an airplane <laughs> and i know that you used to work for the tsa so that makes it even more confusing <laughs> i used to work for continental airlines too which is not delta <laughs> but yeah so let me ask you i guess i'm just assuming like uh -huh. you know like if you were making let's say you're making two thousand dollars a month mm -hmm. right and you're like oh i want to save five hundred dollars this month like if you pull that $500 out and you have $1,500 left, in theory, that's great. Like just spend $1,500. Mm -hmm. But what if your bills are like $2,000? Mm. If you do that now, you're now you have $500 on the credit card, even though you have $500 in savings. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So I love that mentality. Once you kind of know what the, what, like generally how you're spending and earning as long as there, there has to be a difference there. Right. Yeah. Unless you're just splurging like crazy and you know very damn well with your salary, you should be like you have plenty of room to save. Mm. Then I think you can just start with it right away. Right. Yeah. Like there's people I know that make 100, 150,000 that are always traveling and, 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 and which is fine going to clubs, doing doing their thing. But then they complain about not saving. Right. right? So for them, for you, like that's easy. Hey, put five thousand dollars a month here or two thousand or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, right away and then go ahead and blow the rest and then they can do it. Well, so you know? when I when I first started doing this, I was earning a salary of twenty one thousand dollars a year. And ever since I was little, I've always been really into retirement savings. It's just one of those weird things about me, like the the idea that one day I will be so old that I may not have the ability to work, even if I wanted to, you know, I might just not be healthy enough to be able to work like that idea, even when I was young, always kind of scared me and always motivated me to like, shovel money into a retirement account, because I know that I'm not going to get a pension. You know, I know that Social Security is not going to be very robust. So yeah, so I was making 21,000 a year. And I put 15% of it into a 401k, just right off the bat. And then whatever was left over was the money I could spend. So I was living on, what, um, 21000 minus whatever taxes I paid, minus 15% that went into retirement. Yeah. How much was that like just in general? Was it like 100 or $200 or something like that? <laughs> I, think, I don't want to do math right now. <laughs> I think it was like ballpark somewhere around $15,000 a year, fifteen dollars or $16,000 a year, basically. 
So I, that was that was yeah. just what I had to spend. And then knowing that that was what I had to spend, I made my decisions accordingly. So I rented this like really crappy little studio apartment that cost four hundred dollars a month. Yeah. I didn't have a car. Ate most of my meals at home. Yeah. Um, so like that was I was like okay I know that I am living on basically a thousand a month plus. Yeah. And so then I just made every spending decision, every like I decided what my bills would be in accordance with. Yeah, that that I like I that. I think that's the key part to your anti-budget budget. Mm. You know, like you have to make choices and decisions based on the amount you have left over, yeah. right? Because the other way doesn't work necessarily unless, again, like you have that big that big gap. Yeah, exactly. You start with the pool of money first, and you're like, all right, this is what I have to live on. Now, where am I going to live? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if, and if you don't want to cut down your expenses, then all right, then A, you, mm-hmm. you need to go make more money, right? Yeah. So, so, which is fine too. If you want to live a more luxurious life or whatever, right? You know, which is, again, all these things are fine. Whatever you want to do, just know that there's consequences. You have to earn more, you know, or, or save less, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. I like the anti-budget budget. I can get down with that. Thank you. Anti-budgets are sexy.com. <laughs> They'll go there, and then it'll just change. One day it'll go there, one to my blog, back and forth until people can decide what they like. <laughs> you know, to your earn more point, that that is actually what I ended up doing at that point because I wanted I wanted to travel, and I was like, well, I can save fifteen percent into my retirement accounts, but there's not enough money that I could save even more in order to like create a travel fund, and so at that point, the twenty one thousand minus taxes minus retirement was what I lived on. And then during the evenings and weekends, I wrote freelance articles and every single dime that I made from that after taxes went into my travel fund, my travel savings fund. Right. Because you because you made a decision. I'm not going to touch the 401k money. I'm going to leave it alone. If Mm -hmm. I want something else, I need to go earn more to to get it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Well, the nice thing about uh, uh, 401k or IRA versus... Um, savings is that you're less tempted to pull it anyways because you get all those stupid triggers with taxes and nonsense. Exactly, taxes and penalties and all of that. Yeah, so and actually that leads us into, um, at least for me, like my next habit that I've only been doing it for the last few years because I'm I'm making more and and cutting back than where I was before, but it is is, uh, retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is something like, I even had one of my brother-in-law's like I, we talk about money every now and then he makes a lot and is a lot higher net worth than me. Um, but I, you know, whenever we talk, he's like, I don't even pay attention to money. Really. Like all I do is like this one thing every year and I know I'm going to be fine. And I'm like, well, damn, like what's this one thing? <laughs> right. Like it's awesome. And he says every year he maxes out his 401k, like whatever, 16, 17,000, whatever it is. It's 18,000. 18,000. He puts 18,000 every single year. And then usually he also maxes out like his IRA too. So he's putting like 20 something thousand every year at the very minimum into investments, no matter what. IRA is 5,500. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, now I'm the numbers person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I liked it because uh, like if you put that amount of money every year, again, regardless of everything else, your debt, your life, whatever, right? If you could just pull that one thing off, which admittedly isn't like the easiest sometimes, uh-huh. like you're going to be set. Like you will become a millionaire over time. It's just a matter of like building it up over the time, right? Yeah. Like it's awesome. And so I heard that about four or five years ago and I was already maxing out my 401k um, in the beginning um, because like my company, I worked at a startup, dude, they would match a hundred percent of what I put in. Like, and not even like, yeah, not even up to like 5%. Like I would put in like, that's why I'm stuck at 16,500. That's what it was back then. You know, um, I put in 16,5 and they would match 16,500 automatically. No, like best thing. Like it was ridiculous. That's crazy. It, It was even crazier. Is that like I was one of like two people in the whole company that did it, I can't. right? Which is fast. I mean, it's just I couldn't, you know, it was like the easiest win that you could ever do right now. On the flip side, mm-hmm. I was at for like three months, like until I maxed out, like I would have like $90 paychecks. I put like 90% in because I wanted to hurry up and get it in case it went away. Yeah. You know? And, and so I would just have like $90 paycheck. So I had to live off of like some savings for a little bit and side hustle money mm-hmm. in order to get that. And then once I got it, like my income, my checks were back up to like 100%, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so anyway, so so that's another, that habit has stuck for about five or six years now. Um, and IRA. So those are the two things I'll max out every year. 
no matter what, um, you know, at least so far I've been able to do it. Um, and, and even without anything else, those habits will get, you know, again, you, you, there's no way for you not to become a millionaire over time. Right. So that's my next one. You know, the maxing out retirement accounts point is one of the reasons that like I've become a, a big earn more advocate, because like, if you think about, all right, so you need $18,000 to max out your 401k plus another 5,500 to max out your IRA, you know, and then if you have, if you're HSA eligible, which is a health savings account, which some people are eligible for it if you have a high deductible health insurance plan, then that's another for an individual, it's like roughly 3,300 or for a family, it's 6,700. So once you add all of those up, it's a shitload of money yeah um and that was uh it, it was more money than i used to make like i like i said i used to make twenty one thousand a year and then over time i got promotions and things like that and by the time i quit my job i was making thirty one thousand a year and so <laughs> like literally the amount of money today the amount of money that i contribute to a retirement to my retirement accounts every year is more than i used to earn that's um and that's why i'm like dude Earning more is really powerful, you know. Yes, yes, I'll, I'll agree with you on. I agree. I know we have our debates here and there, <laughs> but hey, I, I'm I'm good for earning and cutting back. <laughs> I, just, I just had to throw that in there for the earn more camp. <laughs> yeah, well, it is true. Like, if you're only making twenty, thirty thousand, like like people that are listening to this are making like five thousand a year up to like five hundred thousand a year in theory. Yeah. Right. So the rain. So there's, you know, depending on where you are and you're not going to start like on day one. Oh, I want to get my money and check. Oh, I'm going to go max up my 401k this year. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, 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 you do it over time, you know, but that's a good point. You have to be making enough money in order to siphon it away to still live and, you know, invest for your future. Um, so, so you, so you max out your, your stuff too, right? So yeah. You max it. Okay. Yeah. So I'm self-employed. And so I have, as, as are you, so I've set up a Roth solo 401k. So I put in 18000 a year, and that's all Roth, so I pay the taxes on it up front, which means that for the rest of my life, it's going to grow tax-free. Tax-free, yeah. So when I eventually withdraw it, when I'm like 60-something or 70-something, um, you know, all of those gains, all of the dividends, all of, all of that is going to be tax-free. That's pretty sweet. And then um, I also, because I have a high-deductible health plan, I'm also eligible for an HSA, and so I max that out. And actually what I do, and this is uh, something I learned recently, what I used to do was max out the HSA account and then use it to pay for medical expenses. And then I read a blog post by um, Brandon from Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist, yep. I knew it, yep. And what he recommended, and in, you know when you hear an idea that is so brilliant that in hindsight it seems obvious? Uh, that was what this idea was. Brandon said, don't spend that money on your medical expenses. Just pay out of pocket for all of your medical bills and let that money accumulate in your HSA mm-hmm. because it will, the HSA, the contribution, similar to a 401k, the contributions that you make into your HSA are tax deferred and the growth within it is tax deferred. And so if you pay for a medical expense out of pocket, just keep the receipt and, you know, you have the right to reimburse yourself from your HSA account at any point that you might want to. So and it could be any time, like if I make a health payment at the age of 30, I can reimburse myself for that at the age of 50, you know, as long as I've got the documentation to prove it. Hmm. And then also once you reach... um retirement age, and I forget what the official age for this is, it might be 59 or 65 or whatever. But once you reach a certain age, then all of the money within your HSA functionally turns into a 401k and you can withdraw it and live on it during retirement. That's awesome. Basically, the HSA, sorry, I don't want to overcomplicate things, but the, the simple kind of moral of the story is that if you just start viewing your HSA as an additional 401k, and just treat it like that, then boom, you've got extra retirement account. Yeah, and I'll say a lot of blo- a lot of early retirement bloggers use that strategy. That's when I first came across it. I didn't know what the hell it was until like a year ago, mm-hmm. um, and I don't have one yet. But but that's like that seems to be a really popular strategy amongst people that are like in their thirties, retired, and financially free. Yeah. You know? um, and and just so people know too, like my brother, I don't know why he always asks me the same question. It drives me nuts. But, but like you can in a retirement account or HSA, or I, I guess I don't know all the way about HSA, but 
you can be invested in mutual funds or index funds or stocks or bonds or even just cash if you're crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, sure. so all, all the, the Roth IRA, traditional IRA, like these are all just vehicles that you put some money in mm-hmm. and then you can decide if you are going to you know, put it into stocks or funds or bonds or whatever, right? Or hold it in cash. Yeah, it's totally up to you. Right. And with the only exception of if you with 401k is usually you have whatever your employer offers you. Mm-hmm. So they might only give you like five or 10 or 20 options, mm-hmm. you know, and one is always like cash or something similar to it. Um, so you might not be able to pick like, I want all my money in Apple stock in my 401k that, you know, that doesn't work all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with, in your IRA, you could do that if you wanted to, Right. you know, and all my, and uh, so, so I don't have a solo 401k, although I keep hearing it's smart to do. So I just have, um, a SEP IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I save the taxes now and then I pay them later and then it grows. Um, you know, but so all of mine, like my IRA, my SEP is like 300 something thousand, whatever. It's all in one index fund. Um, so I, I specifically chose that versus like a hundred different funds and stocks and bonds and all that stuff. Right now, maybe, and we don't have to get Which it index now. fund is it? Yeah, it's VTSAX. Yeah, um, I like that one. Total market. So I go the lazy. I want to just match the market. I'm cool with it. I don't need to beat out anything. Um, and that's a whole strategy for, a, for another day. Um, but anyways, the point is I had it all in one, right? And if you look at your accounts, 401k, IRA, I guarantee you have like tons in there, right? So I just went a simpler route, um, whether it's smart or not, we'll find out later. Um, but anyways, yeah. So, so just for you, when we're saying like it grows over time, your HSA grows, your 401k grows, it's because you have it in, you know, investments within that account. Right. Um, all right. So that's good for, for that one. So let's move on to another. What's another habit? All right. So, that so, you do? so far, we've covered tracking your net worth, living by the anti-budget and maxing out your retirement accounts. Yeah. Um, so the fourth habit is uh, it relates to how often you pay your bills. And Jay Money, you and I have different strategies on this. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're opposite in almost everything except money. <laughs> Uh, so you pay your bills once a month, right? Yeah. So because once I got self-employed, like I was trying to like figure out how to pay yourself, how to pay your bills. Like it was all kind of complicated to me. And going back to like the idea of simplicity and minimalism stuff, mm-hmm. um, I decided, you know what, on the first or the first or second of the month, like right in the beginning, I'm just going to pay all the bills a month ahead of time and just be done in one sitting. Um, and that way I don't have to worry about, and then I also pay myself once a month too. So all my money, just to make it simple that I earn online or consulting or whatever goes through my bank, my business, uh, checking account. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the month, like I draw a salary from that account and I just literally transfer money into my personal account. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that's my salary. And then I go ahead and I start knocking all the bills right away while the money's in there. Um, and then I have, there's like usually like a little bit left over, a buffer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that for me, it was easy to just like, I know I'm going to pay all my bills. And since I'm ahead of time, I don't have to worry about anything. I just do it one time, you know, once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are automated and some I manually do. Um, and then I'm done, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's like, you know, you have to sit there a little longer cause you're doing all the bills, whatever's manual. Um, but it's just easy for me to get out of the way and just feel good and, and wipe my hands for a while, you know, Mm. and you don't do it that way, right? No, no. So, uh, I don't. So what I do, I, I technically have auto pay set up on all of my bills. Um, so, you know, all of my bills are, are set up so that they will automatically pay every month. But the reason that I set that up is, is just as a, um, what, what do you call it? Like a fail backup? safe? Yeah, as a backup, you know, so that just in case I happen to forget, the auto pay will kick in and save me from that, from that oversight. So I technically have auto pay set up, but that's not actually how my bills get paid. I go through and I pay them weekly. Um, and the reason for that is because, uh, number one, I like putting as everything I can onto a credit card because it gives me rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of my credit cards... Um, are associated with different airlines, including Delta. <laughs> <laughs> and no Continental because they're merged with someone, right? They're merged with uh, United. So I actually, I okay. have a United United Continental credit card. I have okay. a Delta credit card and I have an American Airlines credit card. Okay, 
Um, so, yeah, so I put everything uh, onto a credit card so that I can max out my airline miles. And then um, I also I'm kind of obsessed with keeping a really high credit score. Um, I think because I'm I buy so many huh. houses. Huh. And so one of the factors that affects your credit score is this thing that's called the debt utilization ratio. And that is a measure of how much money you've charged relative to how much you can charge. So if, let's say, your credit limit is 10000 and you've charged 1000 then you're using 10%. Right. And so the lower that ratio, you know, if you're using only 10%, uh, the better. You know, if you're using 50%, that sucks and it's going to decrease your, your utilization ratio. Now, the thing to know, um, and I, it took me years to discover this, is that your utilization ratio is measured based on a snapshot that happens on any one random day of the month. So it, it doesn't actually, like a lot of people are under the false impression that the utilization ratio measures your outstanding balance, like debt that you're carrying month to month to month. Yeah. That's not actually the case. You could pay your bill in full um, so that you never carry a balance and you never pay a dime in interest charges. But that actually doesn't matter. If you charge 5000 on a credit card that has a limit of 10000 it re and the snapshot uh, that's reported to the credit bureaus happens when you have that $5,000 balance uh -oh. you know, mid-month. It reads as though you've, you, you've utilized or used 50%. And so so, uh, adversely so affects your credit score. So if you do it weekly and you're paying them all off, because I do the same thing. I put all my stuff in a credit card, but I wait once a month. Mm -hmm. And so the odds are that it's going to take a snapshot when it's all building up over time. And the longer in the month it waits to do the snapshot, the more my utilization is going to look like it sucks. Yeah, exactly. Because it's only paid off like on one day. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so you, okay. That, that, I did not know that. So I'm learning something. I love it. That's really, really fascinating. Now, I don't buy houses or anything, so I could care less, in, <laughs> at least with that stuff. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Now, obviously, this is a really stupid way to measure each other right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just because we're talking about the credit scores, what um, is your credit score right now or last time you checked? And I'll tell you mine and we'll see if, how much of a difference it makes, even though it's not going to matter because it's like one factor. Ooh, <laughs> let's, uh, hold on, let me log into like Credit Sesame right now and check this okay. so I can give All you right. it for yeah. right now. All right. All right. And I'll tell you mine too. So I, so mine, I USA. Actually, a lot of companies are now giving you a free score, which is awesome. Discover Card does it. Um, I use USAA for all my stuff, and they now have it when you go checking in your credit card section. Yeah. So every time I log in, it's always in there, which is nice. Yeah, I think one of my credit cards offers that as well. It, but it, they don't. Uh, it's the American Airlines Executive Card. They they offer the the FICO score. Ooh, eight to eighteen, according what to Credit it? Sesame. Eight one eight. 18, 818? Yeah. Mine is 821. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so the monthly win. <laughs> Their snapshots are off this month. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but no, but I, I honestly I had no idea about how they check that. I know I knew that that stuff was important. Like you want that barrier. And actually that's why, like when I first got credit cards, here's another tip. Like as long as you're, you're good with your credit cards. Like I think my, my max like credit card bill or the, the max allowed that I could put on was like $2,000 mm -hmm. and I'd spend like a thousand a month. So, you know, and then I paid off. But like I was always in this case like halfway utilized, right? Right. And then I read on some blog, oh, just call up and you know if you have good you know standing, see if they can raise the max. Mm -hmm. So I called up both of my cards and I jacked them to thirty thousand and thirty five thousand. Mm -hmm. So my one thousand was now again sixty five thousand dollar high max limit. Yeah. Which made me look like awesome, even though I was spending the same amount. Like it it scores really fast just from that one thing. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, like if you're gonna then spend more than you know, like like credit score is important, but not if it's gonna you're going to screw yourself with your money. Exactly. You know, because that's supposed to help you with your money. Exactly, anyways. exactly. The, the other thing that I would say to that, though, is if you're planning on applying for a mortgage or any kind of like, you know, if you're planning on taking out some serious credit within the next six months, okay. uh, I wouldn't do that in that case because okay. the number of credit inquiries that you have, hard inquiries, also kind of adversely affects you. 
So, you know, if you're like, oh, I want to, you know, um, I, if you call and you ask them to raise your limit and that triggers a credit inquiry into you, uh, I mean, the adverse effect is only temporary, you know, so it'll stay on your record for maybe like six months and then it'll kind of go away. But if you have too many of those, um, and then you go and apply for a mortgage, then it's going to look like you're just, you're trying to get lots and lots of credit, which is going to be, it's like, it's kind of like dating. It's like, you know, if you like look like you're trying too hard, it makes you less attractive. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Gotta feel confident. That's why budgets are sexy. Be confident. Net worth. It should be called net worth is sexy, honestly, these days. <laughs> it's like, that's like I was going for with the whole blog name. Like, budget, when you know your budget, you know you're like confident, right? It's right. sexy. Confident equals sexy. <laughs> now I'm more like net worth is sexy. <laughs> uh, but, anyways, yeah, all right. Well, that's fascinating. Good. Uh, I like learning from you, Paula. Aww, this is, this you. is brilliant. Um, all right. So, those are our ways we pay bills. That's our habits for paying. Um, and we talked a little bit about auto, whether we automate it or not. So, so I know, so that's interesting that you will automate now when you automate it, but then you pay, like, let's say they're all set to go like next week. Uh-huh. Right. And you pay today instead. Does it just skip over? Is it not going to like double ding you? Cause that's what I'm always afraid of. Oh yeah. No, it doesn't, doesn't double ding me at all. Okay. Double ding. I like that word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like all my D words. Because <laughs> uh, if it's set to auto pay and the balance is zero, then there's nothing to auto pay. So it just okay. Brilliant. It automatically reads that and it's like, well, there's nothing to pay. All right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. Because like, I, like, so I'll, I have all my like normal stuff that's usually the same, like Netflix automated, like that kind of stuff automated. Mm-hmm. And then the big ones I manually do just because I, A, I'm afraid of it being like a crazy number. Mm-hmm. And then also I like to feel like, this is weird, but I like to feel the sting, like paying my mortgage. I love like paying that because it pisses me off so much, but then also gives me like a sense of like accomplishment at the same time, you know? Um, And so I'll manually do those, but I never thought to automate. I mean, because there are times where I'll forget until like a week later, got like something happens or I'm in the middle of paying when I sit down for that one hour and then I forget to do one thing for some reason, which has happened. So, so I like having that as a backup. That's a good idea. Mm. Um, and um, to, oh, oh, so all right. So let's segue into then, which reminded me with the mortgage stuff. Mm-hmm. Other habit um, that I do, and I think you do too, Paula, um, is is paying more of the principal, the debts that we have yeah. off. Um, so for me, the only debts that I have um, is my more my two mortgages for my stupid house that I still own. Uh, it's a first mortgage, and <laughs> tell then me how a, you feel about that house, Jay. Yeah, and then it's a second mortgage, which is really like a home equity line that was maxed out back when like people were crazy with buying homes and money year ago, years ago, two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my so my two mortgages, one is like eighteen fifty, and the other is like sixty dollars. Uh, the other, the $60 one's interest only. Um, and so what I do is I used to just pay it like the old of me would just pay my whatever's due and then it'll be paid off whenever it's paid off. Right. Right. The smart way to do it, of course, is to pay off as much of the principal as you can to save interest and then you're done early. Right. Right. Um, and so for me, an easy way, a habit that I just started doing was I would round up. So like the nearest, I first started at the nearest hundred. So I used to pay if it was 1850, I would just round up to 1900. Mm-hmm. Um, the $60 one, I would just write up to a hundred mm-hmm. and then like over time, like, Oh, I'm going to do it a little more. So now I pay like 2000 on the 1850 and then I pay 200 on the 60. Um, so it's like I round up and I do the exact same, no matter what the situation is mm-hmm. you know, every month for like five or six years. And obviously because of that, like the principal keeps going down a lot faster, right. um, but it's just easy. Cause it's, I mean, even like $50 or 150 or whatever is a lot of money. It's in my head, it's like simple, tiny roundups, right. you know, that it doesn't really, I don't, like sometimes I forget that I'm even doing that because it's just a habit, right. you know? And so these are the good habits to do versus like spending $50 or $100 on nonsense that you wish you could stop doing. You know? You know, and what I, what I like about the rounding up method is that it's, you know, it's so close to what you're already paying that you don't feel the pinch quite as much, you know, like, yes. like in your example, if you're already paying... 1850 a month on a mortgage and you just round that up to 1900 like that's so close you're, you're probably not going to feel it in your day-to-day life but it makes but over time it makes a difference hell yes it does yes you're right on that one so i do uh so i do something different so i, I guess i should give some background for especially for the listeners who don't know me who are probably wondering like what is she talking about when she keeps referencing 
all of these mortgages that she's always taking out. Yeah, you better. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm a real estate investor. And so I've got five buildings, seven units. Um, plus, I have a primary residence that I myself live in. Those three mortgages, plus my primary residence. So I've, I've got four mortgages. Because four mortgages is four times the fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what I do is um, on my primary residence, um, I when I make payments on that, I double the principal. And so ah. right now, like, you know, when you when they send you your mortgage statement and then they break it down and they show this much is going to principal, this much is going to interest, and then this much is going into escrow for property taxes and homeowners insurance, Right. Right. Um, so I just look at whatever that principal amount is, and then I double it, and right. I send in a payment for that. And so right now on my primary residence, the principal is three hundred and fifty, and so I I actually do a little bit more than doubling it. I send in an extra four hundred dollars. You round up the doubler. Yeah. You're like one upping you, and then you round it up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I do. I round up the doubler. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually ran a spreadsheet on this the other day because I'm a huge dork. Um, so I ran a spreadsheet to see what effect this would have on like the total payoff plan. And yeah. basically what this does is it allows me to have the mortgage paid off in 15 years. That's so I true. have a 30, I've taken out a 30 year mortgage, but by virtue of doubling the principal, I'm paying this 30 year mortgage as though it's a 15 year so if I continue to always double the principal, I'll have it paid off in 15 years. Yeah. And the principal will always be lower in the beginning, right? And then over the years, like come year number 13 or 14, the principal is going to be like a thousand. Yeah, exactly. So so you'll be paying more. But um, exactly. well, in, in a way, and I don't know if you did this on purpose, because you could have easily taken out a 15-year loan instead of a 30-year loan. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But you probably now knowing your little way your brain is working here, <laughs> wanted like a safeguard. Yep. So if there's one month where I I don't want to double my thousand and set yourself back, like the least amount you have to pay is just your initial bill. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So I maintain the flexibility and the lower payments of a thirty year mortgage yes. while still paying it off as though it's a fifteen. Yeah, and that's a really good trick, whether it's this or other stuff, because you don't know, like right now, your plan is to pay it off in 15 years. Mm -hmm. Who knows if you get a family, you get hurt, you don't make it much, whatever, like your situation could change any day of the week, any time of the year of your life. Exactly. You know, so at some point in those 15 years, you can change your mind, whether it's for the good or the bad. Right. Um, you know, so that that's a good, I like that you have that, you know, worst case scenario will be paid off in 30 years. Best case, 15 years. Exactly. You know, um, exactly. and some of your houses, I know you paid cash because you're a baller. Uh, <laughs> so we can talk about that another day, too. That's not a habit that's very easily ingrained. <laughs> could buy a house in cash. <laughs> yeah, house number two and house number five I paid in cash. Oh, and so that's actually another habit. Like, So for the other mortgages that I have, the three rental property mortgages that I have, Instead of making additional payments on all three, I focus on one at a time. That way, if I completely wipe out a mortgage on one of those, that's like one less bill that I have to pay. You know, so rather than making incremental progress on all three, I would much rather throw every dime I have into one out of those three and get that one knocked out. You're like the debt snowball of uh, of investing. Exactly, the debt snowball of mortgages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you pick? Will you pick the lower the lower um, amount, or do you go by the lower interest, or do you kind of just do whatever you feel you feel like it? Uh, I, you know, I go by the one that is most emotionally annoying. Oh, good one. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, and actually, what I do is instead of paying it off every month, what I do is I I accumulate money in the savings account. And I wait for that money to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow until it reaches like a shitload of money. I, I think I've, I've huh. cussed like three times on this podcast. <laughs> I don't normally cuss this much. Uh, I like it. You're passionate. <laughs> you get some bleepers going. <laughs> some sound effects. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yeah, I let it accumulate. And then once it reaches a large sum of money... I then have the option to decide, do I want to use this to make a huge lump sum payment and wipe out this whole mortgage in one check? Or do I want to use this to buy a house in cash? Interesting. And, and that was how I bought house number five. I just accumulated a bunch of money 
so how the fifth house that I bought cost forty six thousand dollars, and so yeah, I'd, I'd accumulated maybe like sixty or seventy, and I was like, hmm, I'm getting pretty close to being able to wipe out a mortgage, or. I'm also able to buy a house in, uh, you know, obviously a, a, in a low-income neighborhood because houses sell for forty-six thousand. Right. Or I could use this to pay cash for a house. So which one would I rather do? And at that point, I just start looking at real estate listings and seeing if there is a house that I want to own, and if there's something that makes sense, if there's something that's a good investment, then I'll pay cash for it and just buy it, and then I don't have to deal with the hassle of like applying for another loan and paying loan origination fees and all of that. Right. You know, it simplifies my life. Right. Um, yeah. Or if I couldn't find a house, if I couldn't find a good investment, then I would have just thrown it at a mortgage and been done with it. Well, and I like it because now the downside, of course, is if you're paying down the mortgage over the years, mm-hmm. uh, it would be better than doing it one lump sum. Yeah. Or does that not financially? Like, I know, like I like, I, I like your plan better, but I think it's probably technically worse financially to do that, right? If yeah. you're going to go the paying that debt down right, route. I mean, I certainly pay more in interest as a result of letting that money accumulate. Yeah. My thinking is that the additional interest that I'm paying is the cost of keeping the option open. Yeah, I like it. The flexibility premium. Yeah, you know, and even going like like I've had this discussion with a lot of people. I love it. It's like it's the same like breaking even thing. Like, would you rather have a hundred thousand dollars in cash sitting in your account, but you have a hundred thousand dollar debt on the books, or would you rather be zero, no debt and no cash, right? Mm-hmm. And there's pros and cons. I always choose the tons of cash in the account because the options are like amazing. You pay it down because you could always pay off the debt anytime you want, right? right? But you could buy another house or buy five houses if you go that route and put 20% down, right? right? All houses. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but it's just that, that power of feeling like I have the savings. I'll do that too. If I have like 10,000 in my savings, I'm like, I'll just dream about all the things I could do with 10,000. Yeah. I never do any of them, <laughs> you know? but it just feels good. Like you have, like you have, you're empowered, you know? Um, so, so I like that route of you. I'm, I'm learning all about you today. This is great. <laughs> and they're good. These are good. These are interesting Interesting ways to like, also it's all very, not emotionally all the way, but like, you know yourself, like you're using your emotions to help you make better decisions versus using emotions to like spend more money, like on bad stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's a good way of harnessing your emotions versus not paying attention to your emotions. So I think that's smart. All right, cool. So that's automatic stuff. Um, Let's talk about, I know you mentioned something about having a buffer, like you have a habit of keeping buffers in your accounts. Yeah, yeah. So what I do is I leave in in every checking account and I'm in the process of like, I realized recently I have way too many checking accounts because a lot of times I'll open them for the sake of like reviewing them for my blog audience. And oh, nice. Yeah. And so like over time, I'm like, well, I've got too many. I need to consolidate. But in my, in whatever checking accounts I use... I leave a buffer in there of like between one to two months worth of bills. So like my real estate business checking account, for example, which is where all of the mortgages and the water bills and the property taxes and everything get paid from. There's always about like 10 or 12,000 that's just floating in there. Okay. And in my personal checking accounts, you know, I've always got like eh, one or two months worth of expenses just floating in there. And the reason for that is so that, you know, in case, especially because I'm self-employed, like in case clients take a while to get around to paying me, basically in case there are any delays with me getting money, mm. I don't have to worry about it. You know, I can just, right. I know that I've got enough money to be able to pay my bills and I've got like this two month cushion. That's awesome. Like, for example, I was just in Ecuador and Colombia and um, I'm supposed to be getting a check worth several thousand dollars from one client. But in order for me to get that, they needed me to like fill out and sign some form. And so they emailed me like the day that I went to Ecuador, basically. And they were like, you need to fill this out and sign it. And so I emailed them back and I was like, I'd be happy to do so. But right now I don't have access to a printer or a scanner. I will be able to access that in three weeks when I come back to the United States. So that's already a three-week delay. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's a three-week delay in me getting paid. And you could tell that they were concerned about it. They were like, well, we're really sorry we can't issue this. And I was like, don't worry about it. I don't care. I got got a buffer. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, doesn't even matter if, uh, you know, I'll just, uh, just so you know, you'll hear from me in three weeks. 
you know and it's like it's just not a bit and you i could tell that the person on the other end of that email chain was like uh, are you sure this is okay you yeah. know and i was like yeah it's fine well it's possible a person like that would would be missing a few thousand dollars in their own lives and so they're trying to like this would suck if it happened to me yeah <laughs> it would but that happens a lot yeah well that's amazing too like that's one less stress that you have to worry about of when your your cash is going to flow in. Right. You know, which is which is a big one because a lot of times like people wait, they're like, you know, just they die for like payday to come because that's the day they're going to pay. God forbid it's like a couple of days delayed, right. you know. So so that automatically eliminates one of the stresses of our lives. Exactly. So no, that's, that's, that's smart. I like it. And anything could happen. Like I have a friend whose paycheck bounced. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It happens. I was oh like, yeah, it happens. Ooh, you got to jump ship, man. Your yeah. company is not doing well. That's true. That happened at my start. The company that I was at before this, I started blogging or why I started my blog at, they bounced one check. No, first they told us to just wait a couple days, which mm-hmm. is the same thing. Right. At least they saved us some hassle. Then then it was good for a while. Then they started bouncing. Then they got delayed by two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and, you know, you have to know that stuff is going on, obviously. And it was like, oh, the, we, the cash flow isn't coming in. Business is still fine, whatever, you know, whatever they said. But eventually... Like I, I, I was trying to quit and then I ended up getting fired. And the day I got fired, it was two weeks that I was owed a paycheck. Mm. I never got my paycheck for the two weeks, which sucks, but whatever. Mm-hmm. People stayed around for six more months Ugh. and never got paid once in six months. Wow. And the company just vanished, Dude. you know, and we sued and we won. It didn't matter because there was no money, you know, it was crazy. So like, a it was good that like I got the kick at only like two weeks missing a paycheck. Right. Uh, but yeah, rarely is it where things start bouncing and then usually it's okay down the road. At some point, yeah, it's obviously a bad sign. Wow. So yeah, so having a buffer, right? And I was also I was like maxing out like my four hundred one k at like ninety percent because you know maybe that maybe that helped cause trouble too because that's, <laughs> that's a ridiculous amount of money to match. It really is, right? Right? And 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 the company was so like we're here for the employee, like they wanted to do so good. I mean, the whole thing was really fascinating. But but anyways, yeah, that's a red sign, a flag. Be careful. Um, but yeah, having a buffer helps. For me, I have like always like a thousand dollars in cash. Um, in my checking account, my personal one, I don't really know why I choose a thousand and just like a nice number for me. Mm-hmm. And it seems to do the trick. Um, I'd certainly be screwed if I didn't pay bills after, well, I, I pay a month and ahead. Mm-hmm. So that part saves me a month. So I guess that's my buffer is paying it earlier. Some of, most of my bills. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. I think if anyone is trying to figure out money, maybe just try a buffer of 500 or a thousand in your checking and just see how that makes you feel emotionally. And if it starts changing your, your habits for the better. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. You know, you get your paycheck in your checking, then you're like, Oh, I'm going to save some money. And you transferred into savings. And at the end of the month, you're transferring the savings back into your checking <laughs> because you messed up. Right. And it's because that option is always there that you always do it. I did that. That's why I thought I was earning 200, saving 200 a month because I would transfer. And then in my head, I didn't register that I would transfer back later, mm. you know, so that that the buffer there also allows you not to keep playing the transfer game. Right. Right. And then when you start seeing money build, like that was like another big epiphany for me when my savings account grew or actually um, at some point my 401k, when it was like a hundred dollars or 200, you know, it was like nothing. So you didn't care. Right. Then over time it was like a thousand, five thousand. I was like, holy shit, like this stuff grows if you don't touch it. It's amazing, right? It's the stupidest thing. But once you see it, you're like, this is amazing. All you have to do is not touch it, right? And savings accounts get touched more than, I don't know, I was about to say really I'm, I'm seeing that analogy get really dirty. <laughs> yeah. So lay off, right? And one of the ways you can lay off is having a buffer in your checking account. <laughs> oh, man, that was giving you a bad one. All right. Uh, all right, buffers. All right, what else? Let's see. I know we made a Just, just to review everything we've talked about so far, we've talked yeah. about tracking your net worth, which is your favorite. We've talked about the anti-budget, which is probably my favorite. Yeah. Uh, maxing out all of your retirement accounts. Paying your bills either once a month in advance or weekly. Um, Setting up automatic bill paying, at least as a backup measure, if nothing else. Uh, Leaving a buffer in your checking account. Uh, Rounding up your debt payments or your mortgage payments to the nearest 100th. And 
doubling the principal on your mortgage payment. That's a lot of good damn habits. Yeah, dude. We've, co we've covered some ground. Yeah. So those are the habits. We also have, um, I guess, like challenges that we do too. Because I think a lot, so like usually, at least for me to get into habit, I have to be experimenting or do something, you know, like, like when I first started blogging, like a no spend month was like a huge kind of like epiphany for me. Like everyone was tired. Oh, for a whole month, you don't spend anything except on like bills, right? You don't go out to eat. You don't buy any electronics. You just pay what you need to pay. Right. You know, just, just groceries and like just your, yeah. electri your electricity bill. Yeah. And that one experiment for me for a whole month, I did it like it, it changed. Like I realized like I'd be, I would go into stores, like I would drive to the mall mm -hmm. and be like, what the hell am I doing here? I can't spend money. But I was so like used to going to the mall just because I was bored, mm -hmm. you know, and I kept or I'd go to like Amazon, right? Because out of habit, like I had a bad habit of just when I was bored looking around and then buying stuff. Right. And as soon as I did that experiment of no spending, it like it caught myself. And then my habit now, like it was harder for me. Like I rarely go to stores ever. I'm on Amazon a lot, but I rarely go to like, <laughs> physical stores. Right. So I automatically was saving hundreds of dollars a month just on that one experiment, you know, because like I realized that that doesn't really make me happy. You know, I was just I didn't know what I was doing. Right. You know? um, and so I know you and I have these other experiments or challenges that we do. Um, and you have the 1% challenge, which I think is a really, I guess, kind of like an automated habit once you get going. Yeah. yeah. Tell, tell us about the 1% challenge. Okay. So the 1% challenge, this is a, a challenge that I put out to my readers on affordanything.com. And um, base, it was in response to, I, I was getting emails from a lot of readers who said like, hey, I, I just cannot save anymore. I'm saving as much as possible. And th there's just no way for me to save more. And so my challenge was, regardless of whatever you're saving right now, next month, boost those savings by an additional 1% of your income. So how much is 1% of your income? Well, if you make, just take whatever you make in a month and like lop off two zeros. So if you make 2000 a month, 1% is 20 bucks. If you make 3000 a month, 1% is 30 bucks. If you make 4000 a month, 1% is 40 bucks. That's nice. 8,000 a month, 1% is 80 bucks. It's super easy to calculate, which is part of the reason I like it. So whatever it is that you're earning, figure out what 1% of that is, and next month, save that additional amount of money. Doesn't matter what your current savings rate is. Like if you're currently saving 5% of your income, next month you save 6%. If you're, you're saving 0%, yeah. save 1%. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so do that next month. And then every subsequent month, increase your savings by one additional percent. And so if you continue doing this, if you make this a habit and you continue just boosting your savings rate by one extra percent every month, then after a year, you'll increase your savings rate by 12 additional percent. You know what I like the most about it is that there's a lot of like um, on our blogs and in personal finance world, there's a lot of like, I see 50% of my income or 75% of my income, yeah. which is like really damn like, like scary and impressive and hard to do. Right. Um, because in your head, you're like, well, starting tomorrow, I need to save 50%, right. you know, which you can't do. Right. So, so you, even if you started at zero this month and next month you save one in 50 months, Right, which is what is that? Three, four years. Four years. In yeah. four years, you'll be saving fifty percent, and you'll barely notice it, you know, over the years. But also, it gives you four years to like get your shit together, yeah, you know, exactly. and work towards that, which is brilliant. I love it. It's, it's, it's such an easy, slow, methodical way of doing it. And turns into a habit, especially after the first few months. Yeah. You know, and by saving, like going back to your stuff, like you, you can physically put it in your savings account or you can increase your 401k. Like you can put it places. It doesn't have to just be like in your pocket or right. in your safe or something. Yeah. Just put it somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. When I say savings, I'm referring to anything from, you know, making additional payments on your debt to making retirement contributions to literally accumulating it in your savings account, any anything that increases your net worth. There you go. It always comes back to the net worth. I <laughs> love it. It's true though. Yeah. So that's good about debt because that's always the question. Well, if I'm saving fifty percent, how am I going to pay off my debt? Right. Well, that's the same I, I, thing. Yeah. I would consider that to be savings. Those additional yeah. debt payments, I would consider to be savings. 
Okay. And then when your debt's gone, obviously it is 100% savings. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. So that's one way you can take, that's an action item you can start literally today after you listen to this, if you wanted to like get going and, and get all sexy up in here. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so that's the so thing. Yeah. You have this other challenge also. Oh, by the way, for anybody who wants to, um, here's my little plug. If anybody is interested in the 1% challenge, um, I've started a Facebook group where people who are taking the 1% challenge can just like talk to one another and share their strategies and share like things that they've done. And it's pretty cool. Like people have done some pretty creative stuff. Yeah. So this, we will, I, hopefully we'll have a website with some link on it somewhere <laughs> that links to that. Otherwise, you can just uh, if you go to affordanything.com and look up and the 1% challenge, there's links there to the Facebook group. OK, so, um, so that, that's good. So that one covers savings, more, saving more money, like physically putting it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, a way to make it easy on yourself is my challenge, which I just call challenge everything. I and it's love kind of, this. By the way. It's, it's kind of morphed over the I've been doing it for a year now, a little over a year. The, the gist of it is cutting expenses and cutting a bill. And you just pick anything. Like I started with my cell phone. Figure out a way to get it lower, like one time upfront, but then having that like continual savings every month going forward, like like paying dividend, pretty much like passive income in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I had an iPhone. We were paying 100, I think at one point 60 or 70 dollars a month for it, which is fine. Most people have iPhones, you know. A lot of people spend a lot of money. And during this challenge, I thought, well, you know what? Like, I want to start spending less money, so I don't have to make a ton more money, and I could retire early. Like that was the whole gist of it less money you spend, the more less you need to earn, the quicker you don't have to work ever again if you don't want to. Right. And so my iPhone, I looked at my iPhone, I'm like, I love this thing. Could I have a phone that does pretty much the same damn thing for a lot cheaper so I can shave off a year off of my working life, for example? Right. Long story short, I ended up going with Republic Wireless. We pay like 25 bucks a month. Total, we pay about 50 bucks a month now. And we have like droid phones, which God, I don't even know what droid did or what it was, but it pretty much does the same thing an iPhone does, you know, <laughs> like it takes pictures, it calls people in a text and you have internet, you know, and we have unlimited stuff. But anyways, that one change, even though it was kind of an annoying one because you had to switch phones, yeah. that one change saved $100, $110 off my bill every single month going forward. Right. So in a year, I saved $1,200, $1,300. Yeah, that's more than 1000 a year. Yeah. So now, now that's the first part. Right? That's fine and dandy. Great. You shaved a bell. Woohoo. Good for you. It doesn't matter unless you do something with that money. Because if you go out and spend it again, then what the hell? You're in the same spot. Your lifestyle's the same. Exactly. It ain't savings till you save it. Yeah, exactly. So I made that second part of I said, all right, I'm going to open up a separate account, mm-hmm. savings account. I'm just going to throw it in there every month. That was one bill. I went to my cable bill. I went to my, in, my car insurance. I kind of looked into other stuff and then I got lazy. So those are like the three main things I cut. Uh, but that's every month that I got three things every month. I was saving like 200, 250 just on those every single month. Mm. Um, so, and then I started like selling stuff on Craigslist and all these other kind of, that was a habit I had to every Friday list something on Craigslist to sell. Um, and so anyways, over the course of the year, I had almost exactly 5,500, which is pretty much maxed out my Roth IRA, nice. right? Which is pretty much free money, Yeah, you know? Um, and so, so that was one thing that I got in the habit. And again, the cutting the bills is the greatest because it's re- it recurs every single month, you know, whereas if you sell something online, it's like a one-time payment. Right. But if you're struggling and you don't have this extra 1% or you don't think you do, even though you probably can do it anyways, like this is one way you can start, do the challenge, whatever you save every month, just transfer it over into savings yeah. or investments, wherever you want. And, and then it's like, you're breaking even mm-hmm. saving money. You know, because you are used to spending the same amount. Exactly. I So what I love about Challenge Everything is, number one, that it's so methodical. You go through every single thing that you spend money on. And like yeah. maybe once a week, you're like, this is what I'm going to focus on this week. This week, I'm going to look at my cell phone. This week, I'm yeah. going to look at my car insurance. This week, I'm going to look at my electric and gas bill. Like, And it's just super methodical. And you go through these things one by one and challenge them. Then that Craigslist thing that you did, I love that because... I've often, like, I have, like, a pile of stuff that I'm, like, uh, you know, that I always intend to sell on Craigslist or eBay, but it's such a big pile. Like, I'm, like, I'd, I'd have to take a, a day off of work to do this. Yeah, it's annoying. And you, and you don't do it. You don't sell anything. Exactly. Exactly. And so I love that you're, like, I'm just going to list one item per week. It's so simple. 
And I have literally have a Gmail calendar item that pops up and says, list something today, dummy, every Friday. <laughs> it pops up. Right now, it doesn't mean I sell everything every week. Right. right. Some take a month, months, but it's the habit of just doing it. And then like, and, and that, that one thing changed too, because the reason it's called challenge everything is it really changes your lifestyle. Because I would look at things in my house that I would never sell. And, and six months into it, I started selling. Right. You know, because my mind shifted from what would I rather have this thing or this money so I don't have to work ever again. Right. And I and most times chose the money, not all the times, but a lot of times. And once you start getting rid of stuff that normally you wouldn't, like your whole, even the iPhone, I would have never given away my iPhone ever. There's like no way in hell. Right. But when I compared it to, you know, freedom, it changed. <laughs> you know, why now out of six years owning an iPhone did that happen? I don't know. So now I'm challenging just my life in general yes. and even even jobs and work and even podcast, like all this stuff I'm challenging because now I realize it's just good because we get so complacent of doing the same thing over and over again that we just stop thinking about it. Right. I paid $180 for years. It was just the way it was. Right. But it didn't have to be that way, you know. So lots of good challenges you can do. You can do a lot of items, but the point of all this is pick a couple of habits, start experimenting and know that all these little changes, like if you listed like five or six different things we do, mm -hmm. they all together help grow your wealth over the long term massively. Yeah. Yeah. And it all comes back to that. It comes back to growing your net worth. Yeah, that's right. That's the name of the game. Awesome. Well, I think we, we chatted a lot here, my friend. I think we have. I think we have. So um, yeah, track your net worth, run the anti-budget, max out your retirement accounts, pay your bills either once a month or once a week automate your bill paying, leave a buffer in your checking account, round up your debt payments to the nearest hundred, <laughs> double your principal on your mortgage, take the 1% challenge and challenge everything. It's really easy. You could do it all tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> take it one step at a time, please. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pick one of those things and yeah. do that one thing. <laughs> all right, guys. Hope you enjoy this. We'll catch you here soon. Cool. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Nobody! We don't have any sponsors, but we would like to thank you for listening, because if you weren't, we'd just be talking to ourselves, and that would be weird. If you liked us, please do the following three things. Number one, subscribe to this show on iTunes. Number two, download as many episodes as you'd like. And number three, leave us an iTunes review. If you'd like to know more about us, check out themoneyshow.co. That's themoneyshow.co.